You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Special guests and off-topics in this segment, Anything Goes... You're listening to 3 p.m. Welcome to the 3 a.m. podcast. My name is DJ. My name is Charlie. And with us, we have Tristan Stevens, I guess. (laughs) First and last name. Yeah, I guess. Sean's not with us, so... He's passed. (laughs) (laughs) He's traveling. He's somewhere over on the West Coast. But we did get a a good replacement for this week. (laughs) Yes. No. Um. Stoked to have you. Thanks for having me. Tristan has a hell of stories for us. He's shared a few stories with us in the past that we in turn shared with you. (laughs) (laughs) We're happy to have you. We're gonna get into like Tristan's background and Tristan's stories in a bit. But first, how are you guys doing? Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good, too. It's been a pretty good day. Good. Um, Kevin? Kevin's with us also. I'm doing so great. Hey, yo. You have something on your mind. Guys, I almost died last night. Oh, <laughs> You went camping? No, I'm being a little dramatic, but I'll just tell you. Yeah, uh, out of nowhere, my wife and I decide we want to go backpacking and camping. And so there is a road that goes through the mountains near our home called Alpine Loop. They don't open the gates up until it's like summer, summer. So the gates aren't open yet. So no one's up there, you know. So we park in a parking lot and hike for two miles. We also passed the spot where we had our first ever 3 a.m. episode when it wasn't even 3 a.m. It was just us sharing. Middle of the night? That Yeah. Years ago? Wow. Yep. Uh, anyway, so we're there. It's beautiful, this camp campground. And my wife and I have dinner we just hang out stars are coming out and i'm like all right we got to like start preparing for bed and so i was like okay i'm gonna go hang our food so i take our food and i put it in a bag and i grab a strap because i'm gonna hang it you know and i climb this tree and i'm a good 12 to 15 feet off the ground and i reach up and i grabbed a branch and it just snapped and i fell from 15 feet onto my back and i hit a tree like on my way down, broke a branch off and just hit the ground so hard. My neck is so effed up right now. Like every time I yawn or laugh, it hurts so bad. (laughs) But I laid there on the ground. I was so disoriented because it was in the dark, you know? Yeah. And I was like, just trying, like doing a check and like my elbow hurt super bad. I thought I broke a rib because it felt, because like I hit a a branch. Dude, and I was just like, okay, is everything working? Wiggle toes. And like super far away, I hear Charlie, are you okay? And I, I could, I was just like so disoriented still. And from her perspective, she just saw like a light just, just like in the distance because my headlamp just went. 
And she's like, I thought you tripped. No, I fell out of a tree like super high up. <laughs> but yeah, I am sore right now. That's terrifying on its own <laughs> if you're uh, you're so far out. And if you were actually hurt, yeah, I would have been screwed. Yeah, if you had hit your head on a rock or something. Uh-huh. Easily could have. Yeah. Easily could have. Holy cow. Uh, and then weirdly enough, so I'm like kind of shaken up. MJ comes over and laughs at me when she realizes like I'm doing, <laughs> I'm like alive and fine. And I'm laughing too because it's like crazy, right? Yeah. I fell out of a tree. Who does that? I'm yeah. not a child. Uh, You're in the actual back country. <laughs> yeah. My back, on my back, yeah. in the back country. And then I, I broke go, back mountain. <laughs> <laughs> You're, it was. That was actually funny, Kevin. <laughs> that was actually rude, dude. Yeah. No. Uh, and then we're like, you know, we're going to sleep. I put a podcast on, and the whole podcast is about a guy who had a near death experience <laughs> and how it like changed his life fundamentally. And I was just sitting there like, this is odd. You know, this is weird. I'm, I'm feeling weird thoughts. So feeling weird thoughts, huh. feeling weird feelings. Anyway, that was me. How was your guys? How are you guys doing? <laughs> doing good. Nothing eventful like that in my life. So sorry no. to report. Oh, all right. Well, moving on from that. Cause I think we should. Tristan is part monk. Part white? Right? <laughs> yep. Part mong, part white. Are you half half? Yeah. Nice. So my dad's from Utah and my mom's from Laos and she's Hmong. So tough, wow. dude. We've talked about uh Hmongs just a couple of times. And we haven't yeah. really uh delved too much into it because we don't know too much. Well we've we've talked about like uh like the different tribes of Hmongs. Yeah. And how there's like different like you guys are like the Native Americans of Asia. Pretty much. Yeah. Just mountainous people that live in villages throughout southeast asia so like with food, yeah (laughs) pretty good pretty good that's the extent of our knowledge so we're gonna get a schooling tonight but before that i want to ask you because i'm part japanese part white dj's part chinese part Filipino. dude we're like 80 percent of all asian countries right now represented we need a korean in the crew oh yeah hit us up if you're korean and cool. Yeah. Come kick it with us. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Taekwondo <laughs> yeah. with us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. But what was it like growing up in Utah? Part Asian. Dude. So I was always the exotic one here in Utah. <laughs> the token. Dude. For real. So like, let's see. In elementary school. I don't know. Kids. They don't really see color. Right. So <laughs> nothing too unique there other than. Sometimes somebody would ask, like, dude, you're not you're not fully white, right? Like, <laughs> there's something else about you. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm half Hmong. Like, oh, cool. What the heck is that? <laughs> yeah, well, that's so, like, later in life. So I'd say, like, middle school. So this is actually a pretty funny story. So I was in eighth grade and carpooled with a bunch of kids in my neighborhood. They were all white. So this that's important for the story here. So we get into our, our car. And one of the kids, he asks his mom who's driving it or driving the car. And she's like, well, he asks her, he goes, mom, how come all the girls like Tristan? They don't, they don't like me and my other friend. And she straight up, like, before we take off, she turns around and looks at both of them and me. And she's like, it's just because he's exotic, guys. (laughs) I was like, I I like to think it's because, you know, maybe... 
I'm, I'm normal around I'm girls. I'm a good guy. Charismatic, <laughs> good qualities, I, but hold the door open at recess. Yeah, dude, straight up, like eighth grade, I was like, I think I'm a good guy. And then when she goes, it's because he's more exotic than you guys. They just boiled your entire identity yeah, down. You're like, like, wow, you interesting. Know, that's It's it. It's because I'm half Asian. That's why the girls like me. Like, I guess that's how it is. So that was like my first eye opener is like, I guess. I might be different. I might, yeah. <laughs> All this time, I thought I was like all of you, and I'm I'm not. But the funny thing is, so like when I'd go to like Sacramento to visit cousins that were full blown Hmong, that a hundred percent Asian. So I'd go over there, and we'd go to like Hmong New Year. Uh, and you're the whitest dude they've ever seen. Yeah. So that's the thing. It's like in Utah, I'm super exotic because I got half Hmong in me. And then I go out to Sacramento, and it's like, what's this white guy doing at Hmong New Year? Yeah. And so that well, that's actually like my dad. So he's fluent in Hmong, and he actually speaks better than my mom, which is kind of ironic. Um, Who's full blood Hmong? Yeah, yeah. So he's like into like he translates for the church because um, I'm also a member of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints. <laughs> but uh, my mom and dad translate General Conference into Hmong. Oh, so sick! If you go online, you can during conference you can find. Um, just all the languages and Hmong's actually one of them. So they've been doing that for like 25 years now. Ooh. So kind of vets, you could say. Um, but yeah, he used Viet? to do. No. <laughs> he used to do a lot of like translation for um, Gordon B. Hinckley. Sweet. So he went out to Hmong New Year one year and he was talking. And so when the Hmong people watch conference, there's no video. It's just audio. So he would be talking to just like this group of Hmong people and they'd be like, it's President Hinckley. To your dad? Yeah. That's hilarious. And so he's like, no, no, no. I just do the voice. I just do the voice. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but it took him a long time to like really believe him because they'd never really like seen him. They just heard his voice. So, but it's kind of unique seeing my dad because he's super fluent and people like talk behind his back. They're like, what's this white guy doing here at Hmong New Year? And then he'll just turn and fluent Hmong and be like, what are you talking about? Like, <gasps> I'm Hmong too. And they're like, whoa, you speak better than me. Oh. And he's like. That's right. <laughs> That's literally the reason I want to learn another language is just so I can go in there and, and surprise people. <laughs> yeah. Did you go through that? Because you talked about how like in uh, you go to Sacramento and you're like the whitest one there. People just talk behind your back. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I didn't learn a ton of Hmong growing up. So, I mean, my cousins always like looked out for me, but like, I don't know, when I was, when I was a kid, like... At Mong New Year, I didn't want to do much because it was kind of, it's like just lots of booths around and they have some like Mong traditions, but they always had like just this arcade. And I'd be like, that's where I'm going like every year. Yeah. Give me give me my money and I'm going to the arcade. Um, so Asian of you to go straight to the video games. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's going fireworks. I'm going to level up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be playing that uh, Pac-Man. Yeah. Catch me in the tent. So... Yeah, like a couple times there'd be like random strangers and they're like, what's the white kid doing here? And my cousins would be like, hey, he's half Hmong, like show him some respect. They're like, oh, sorry, didn't know. But yeah, it's kind of like I didn't fit in in Utah because I wasn't, you know, super white, but I was exotic and then go out to Sacramento and I'm the white guy. So exotic the other way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I have almost the identical experience. Like growing up, I... I don't know. I always was like super identity. How do I, how do I say this? My identity, I was mad confused. Cause like I went to 
two years of this um, private school, which is like mainly white kids. And I was like the most ethnic thing they'd ever seen in their life. Besides like Pradesh and all the Indian kids who were doing way better at them than everything. But like they were, they, yeah, they thought I was like the most ethnic kid in the world. And then I go back to public school, Redwood, where it's like 90% Mexican, uh, 9% Hmong, and then like 1% white. And I'm a white boy. Like they literally would call me white boy in the hall. So it's like, you know, just depending where I'm at is like yep. what I am. It's so funny. And then I moved to Utah and all of a sudden, you know, I'm this like, black. yeah, I'm basically black <laughs> out here. It's just wild. But no. My mom, she grew up in Utah. She grew up in Ogden, and she's half Japanese, half Irish. And uh, she was adopted by a white family, but she said she had to fight someone almost like once a day because they would call her like the C word, not for women, but for Chinese people. You know what I mean? Uh, But yeah, she said ton of racism, dude, like growing up in Utah. But she was, you know, back in the 80s and that's wild how that's literally just one generation away. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think I still think there's I, I've you know, I've been called things out here in Utah. I've I've experienced I've been in groups of people where literally every comment they made to me was like just an Asian joke. Yeah. And I'm ching chong. I'm all <laughs> down for like making fun of each other's identity. But it, it was different. It was just straight up different. I don't know. It's because like that's all they that's all our interactions were. And especially if they're not like running in your circle, mm. then it's like not super warranted yeah no you got to be kind of family or there you got to be some connection before you just yeah. run up and call me the c-word you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. like i'm down but you got to know my middle name or yeah. something yeah. It's got, the racism's got to be a uh, consensual <laughs> yeah <dude. laughs> and i feel like I i'm kind of a slut with that dude i, yeah. I like let anyone you know yeah no, anyway. <laughs> i think it's safe to say that i feel like uh mo- most mixed kids go through that on both sides it's like I'm the same. I feel like I don't fit, I don't fit in with a lot of polys up here, but I don't necessarily fit in with a lot of Hollies either. So <laughs> it's like I'm just in this weird middle gray area. I mean, I've ex- brown area. I've experienced DJ's like identity crisis through uh, your grandma. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. <laughs> you know how? I, do you have a racist grandparent? <laughs> I, I can't that's say a great it, question. They do. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, they teach you a lot. <laughs> you know, yeah. Lots of stories from that, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, very colorful sometimes, or not at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, every time I go home, my grandma always makes some comment about like, oh, you have so many Holly friends. Or if I get sunburned, she's like, oh, you've been gone. Oh, you've been on the mainland too long. You have Holly skin. <laughs> like, get burned like a Holly. I'm like, okay. Well, TJ's like, oh, we're about to fight, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to knock my grandma out, bro. <laughs> nah, but uh, um, I'm glad like we can connect on that. Because like, I don't know. I feel like there's just so much you can understand about someone who just... I don't know. Has that has that crisis? <laughs> yeah. Um, I come to think of it, there's I do have literally only just one experience with Hmong people, and it was I went to uh, San Francisco like in 2014 for a little work trip, and on the way back, it was an emergency work trip, so I posted like on Facebook. I was like, anybody want to come with me to San Francisco? I'm driving in a few hours. I got a hotel, everything. Uh, two people reached out. They're like, yeah, I'll, I'll go with you. This cool. Your, this is your grinder? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we went to San Francisco, did my business, came back, and we're like, we should stop in uh, Sacramento and st- um, instead of drive the whole way. And my buddy's like, I know a family who would take us in. And it was a Hmong family. And they barely spoke any English, but they were so kind. We got there and it was like 
within an hour of calling them, immediately they were like, yes, please stay at our house. Like, oh, we'll be offended if you don't come. I freaking love it. We got there and three beds ready for us. Probably their own bed. Made nicely. Yeah, yeah. Um, made super nicely, a hot dinner. And uh, we got there. We, I like, my buddy I was with spoke some Hmong. Mm-hmm. He speaks like eight different languages. Um, and he's just talking with them. And I was just sitting there listening the whole time. And they were super just uh, chopping it up. And the next morning, they took us out to breakfast. Oh. They like refused for us to leave without them taking us out for, to breakfast. Took us out to breakfast. And then they gave each of us like a little goodie bag of snacks and water for the road, <laughs> for the road trip back home. Never met them. I was like, man, this is. Uh, Are you Jesus? This is incredible. <laughs> yeah. Are yeah. you all Jesus? Yeah. yeah. Jesus. And that was my uh, experience with, with Hmong. So. Dude, that's actually, I'd say that's pretty typical for like all the Hmong people I've associated with and family. Like, I mean, when I was little, the one thing I always looked forward to about going to see like family is like their parting gift. They always give you something. So you got like the goodie bags. But like for me, they always gave me like $10 bill, $20 bill. So I was like, it's sad to say goodbye, but give me that money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My hands are already out. Like, and at that age, it's like a thousand bucks. Yeah, yeah, dude. When you're in elementary school and your aunt gives you 20 bucks, you're like, dude, I could. That's going to last you all year. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a full Bitcoin. Yeah. (laughs) What you described, though, is what it's like visiting your family, though. Yeah. Like straight up. For real. Yeah. It's good to know. It 100% (laughs) is. You're just like overwhelmed by the love that like your parents show. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. I'm indebted forever. Nobody gets left behind. Ohana, bro. Yeah. There you go. Okay. My experience with Hmong people. So I grew up in Visalia, California. (laughs) And whatever... For a long time, if I wanted to describe what Visalia was like, I, I used to say, just go watch uh, Gran Torino. You ever seen that movie, Kevin? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that that movie feels like Visalia. And I think they said it's like Sacramento or something, but that's what Visalia feels like. Uh, I grew up with Hmong people. My little buddy, Hunter, he was like really tight with the Hmongs in high school. I don't know why. They took 3D art together. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he, like, knew every bad word in Hmong, and he was, like, so tight with them. <laughs> but there is a huge population of, like, Hmong gangs in my hometown. And I'm not going to name what they are, but my sister was super tight with them all. And I, I talked to her today and said you were coming on. She's like, dude, I love Hmong people. She's like, I used to go to all their celebrations and just eat, like, a thousand egg rolls and all the best food in the world. And she was like, she said, once you're in, you're in. And she was friends with like the top, top. Yeah. Or, or kind of, yeah. But she was like, once you're in, you're in. Like they will, you're in for life. I don't know. That's cool. But that's like sort of my my experience with mom people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think you hit it right on. I I like mom people. <laughs> they I they I they, they're pretty cool. No, it's it's true. They're really hospitable. Like like you were saying. Like every time we go visit, it's like. Before we're even there, they have food on the table. Like, they'll feed us before they eat. Traditionally, I think it's the men eat and then the women eat. But, like, I mean, when we go out there, it's like, I'm literally, like, I can't eat anymore. And they're like, all right, we're going out to get more food. I was like, <laughs> we just ate. And they're like, no, 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 we're going to go buy some food now. I was like, you cooked, and now we're going to buy food. Like, I'm just <laughs> so full every time I go out to visit my cousins. Like, after we eat, I'm like, okay, let's go, like, relax. Like, 
all right, we're going for dessert now. Like, oh. I'm like, dude, stop. I can't eat anymore. Like, it's impossible. Yeah. But that's just kind of how they are. So, sorry, uh, kind of, I, I feel embarrassed because I feel like I should be more educated on it. And I think I mentioned this before, and you can set the record straight and educate me further. Please do. But with how I mentioned, like, Hmongs are like the Native Americans of, like, of Asia. Like, mm-hmm. you guys, did you guys ever have your own country, um, uh, govern governing system, like economy, or like, like where how what's the story of the monks? So, by no means am I an expert. Like, this is all like from what, what? I've heard. What was that? <laughs> You're not the expert. You booked this guy. He's <laughs> yeah. not an expert. No. Yeah. <laughs> so everything I know is just from my grandma, my aunts, uncles, and kind of just passing down kind of their story, which I'll get into later. But essentially, yeah, they don't really have like, you know, a country. So like, if you're Japanese, you know, you're from Japan, but like Hmong people, like everywhere, like Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, like basically just a mountainous group of people living in villages and just trying to thrive off the land. And I guess comparing them to Native Americans is pretty, pretty spot on. But they, they must have like, are, oh, okay. So I guess, are there different like dialects of Hmong then? Um, like, was there a point where they were all together before they went nomadic or? As far back as I know, this is, um, what I've heard mainly cause my, uh, my wife back when I was dating her, she had a roommate that was Chinese. And the first time I met him, he's like, Oh, what's up, dude? Like you have something? I was like, yeah, I'm half Hmong. He's like, Oh, cool. You know? my ancestors are Chinese, right? I was like, sure. Like, I I guess he's like, we enslaved your people. I was like, this is a great introduction. It was super awkward after that. I was like, so we're about to fight. Okay. So, I mean, as far as I know, they were, I think once in China. This was your girlfriend's roommate? Yeah. I was like, this is a a lovely way to like introduce to the roommate. Well, it was her roommate's boyfriend. And so I was like, this is great. Like, never want to see this man again like yeah. it's just awkward but for sure um so yeah i think they were up in china originally and then migrated down south from china hmm. so if we're being honest though like at some point i feel like most asian countries enslaved <laughs> every other asian country you know what i mean <laughs> yeah so but no wild so where does like your story start or so, your lineages story yeah so my mom again i don't know exactly where but it was a province in laos um she was born and raised in this village um my grandpa was basically like the equivalent of the mayor for their village um and he's super unique because it's like you think typical asian appearance you got that jet black hair his was like light brown super red tinted so, like, in the sun, you'd be like, what the? Like, yeah. it doesn't look, like, naturally that it would be that color. And so, when he was, like, young, I'm pretty sure my aunt was telling me that, like, a shaman told him that he was cursed because he had, like, red hair. Ginger hair. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, that's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> that's a worldwide notion. <laughs> so, he was, like, cursed, never going to do anything good with his life. And... uh his uh 
his dad actually passed away when he was little too. So, I mean, typically in like the Hmong culture, it's like you inherit like your family's business, right? So your dad teaches you the skill and you just kind of carry it on, but he had no one to teach him. So when he got married to my grandma, it was her dad that kind of taught him how to be like a medicine man. Cause that was like their family thing. So like all growing up, dude, my grandma's been in the home and anytime I get sick, it's like, we'll try the day quill first, but it's always grandma's medicine that heals you. So, and I, I don't know what's in it to this day, but oh. I, I just see her basically throwing herbs and stuff into a boiling oh. pot of water. And sometimes it tastes okay. And sometimes it's like the worst smelling, <laughs> worst tasting potion ever but it works but it works oh, dude. Dude. to this day like when i got sick i'm like mom i'm coming home have her have her make the potion for me <laughs> <laughs> so she just has like a like a little chess Pretty or something much. of like her well msg or <laughs> <laughs> dude she's got everything and i don't know where she gets it or she's got like a stockpile of seeds where she just grows her plants yeah. in the flower bed which is crazy because She's 94, and she's, like, one of the healthiest 94-year-olds I've ever seen. Dude, I bet. But, like, here's a story for you. Like, the other day, was up at my parents, and she she doesn't realize that she's getting older, or she knows she's getting older, but she wants to be young. And one of her favorite things is she likes sitting on the porch swing as well as getting on the trampoline, and she, like, kind of <laughs> just bouncing but our trampoline's not in the ground. It's still above. So she'll take a walker over. She'll put on the brakes and she'll climb on her walker and then onto the tramp. Dude, what and, a G. <laughs> and you'll look out the window and you'll just see her sitting and bouncing on the tramp or laying down, staring at the sky. And you're just like, does she know she can't get on that trampoline still? And That's wild. So she's, yeah, so back to the medicine man thing. So she's been like my go-to Whenever I'm You're sick. Like, Grandma, can I get that potion with yeah. rare beef? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm no like, tripe. <laughs> just make just make whatever you do. And so like they have different ways of knowing like how sick you are. And one thing that she did a lot when I was little is like she'd take a plastic spoon and you guys ever heard of Tiger Bomb? Yes. It's like, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm talking to the yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the whole big guy shaking hey, his head. <laughs> Asian Icy Hot. Yeah, yeah Asian Icy Hot, yeah. Tiger Bomb. So she Way cooler it, branding. Yeah. Way cooler. Way more effective, too. Yeah, I agree. Way there was a rite effective. of passage on my water polo team. You had to put that on your scrotum. Wow. And get in the water, which water makes it worse. So yeah. That's a... I'm, I'm uh, uh, intimately a <laughs> no uh, Tiger Bomb. <laughs> you know a little bit about it. Yeah. I grew up in El Paso. We just used Vicks for everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're missing out, dude. Tiger Bomb's the way. So she'd put it on like a plastic spoon and she would scrape like between your eyes on your forehead and then on your temples and then on your shoulders. And depending on how like red or like irritated it was, she could tell like how far into the sickness you were. And so she'd like kind of know like when you'd feel better or what to do based off of like the redness and like, I don't, I don't know everything behind it, but. All I knew is I was like, first I have to endure the spoon scraping <laughs> and then the nasty potion. And then 24 hours from now, I'll be feeling great. Dude, that's awesome. So, Damn. 
<laughs> it's pretty crazy. That's like actual witchcraft, but like the best kind. Dude, for well, real. Light magic and dark magic. That's yeah. like light magic. Yeah, the lightest of magic. <laughs> she's literally like an angel on this earth. Aww. So, um, Shout out so, grandma. Yeah. How many children did they have? So they had, I think, nine or ten. And three of them died before the age of like probably six or seven. Wow. Was that common back then or was that the curse? Uh, I would say that was probably common for being just in the jungle, right? Like you don't have any medicine to help if anything goes wrong. Mm -hmm. Like if you fall out of a tree. Yeah. Like just nothing really (laughs) advanced there. So some basic stuff that we can do here that would prevent death. Like they didn't have access to, right? So like surgeries and stuff. So where was this again? Uh, in Laos. In Laos? Yeah, just in a village up in the mountains. So that's kind of their home base. So my grandpa was, again, like the mayor figure and just a well-respected leader in that community. Um, so they're running their own circle. Uh, so how much are they integrated into, like, with the Laotians? Um, I would say they were kind of known, but not a ton of integration besides if you had to go to, like, the big city to get like, you know, your big bag of salt or something, right? Like I think my mom was saying it was like a day or two walk to get to the big city and they would do that every once in a while when supplies are getting low. So like getting salt was like a big thing that they'd have to prepare a day's journey to walk in and then pack everything that they bought in the big city and take it back to their village. So mostly independent then Mm -hmm. that they were in their villages in the mountains. Right. Okay. Is it rude to assume it's like third world condition? Like, Oh no, that's, pretty accurate like my only exposure to it because i haven't been to laos but um back in 2019 my wife and i went to thailand and we went to a mong village oh and so it's kind of cool because we got to see like they had like replica houses built and we're talking like dirt floor with like a bamboo shack over your head and just like a couple little rooms maybe like a loft um a fire pit in the middle mm. And that was how they did everything. So wait, th- was this something like you had the hookup to, or like you searched online and? Uh, well, so my uncle, um, he's fluent in Thai, but he's also a white guy from Utah. He served his mission in Bangkok, but it was like we went up to this Thai temple on this mountainside, and he's mm-hmm. like, "Oh, dude, if we go like another ten minutes up this mountain, there's this. It's more of a touristy mall Bro, village." No joke. I think I, when I was in Bangkok, we went to a Thai. Thing way up on this mountain yeah we did and then they were like hey you want to go see this mountain people's village and we were like yeah and we showed up and so you describing this i was like oh i've been to something i bet it's like a mong, mong village yeah bro. so I, it was a little more like touristy because they had things set up to go see but it's not like like them weaving and stuff yeah yeah I, oh dude we went to the same spot yeah yeah and they have like i mean they had little tents set up where they sold you know like pillowcases or whatever to people coming through so <laughs> but it was cool because i got to see like Oh, this is what my mom kind of grew up with. And yeah. Like some of the dishes that we make now, it's super easy. But then I'm like watching the machines that they have and I'm like, dang, that's really like this one thing you like rock back and forth and it has some rock on the other side and it like basically like mashes up rice into like a dough and then you just fry it in oil, which oh, it sounds. Dude, I'm starving. Right sounds kind of weird, but it's nah. so good. The texture of it is amazing. I bet. So, like, watching them, I, like, went and used it, and you, like, 
move it back and forth basically. And uh, now there's this machine that you just put, you know, two cups of cooked rice in and it just like vibrates it around and then turns it into a giant dough ball. And I'm like, you turn that on for 20 minutes and you have it. But the other way, like the way they did in Laos, it's like a full day just to get the amount that you need of just shaking back and forth this like piece of wood with a giant stone on the end. So, Hmm. wow. Big change. Everything changed with the Fire Nation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ain't that the truth? Was there any like political turmoil, kind of like the Native Americans here? Yeah. So that's kind of the big thing is, so right after, well, I guess during the Vietnam War, a bunch of Hmong men were hired by like U.S. government, CIA to teach soldiers how to navigate the land, live off the land. And like, I think some were even hired to like help fight. Um, Any of your relatives involved in that or? So my grandpa, like big leader role. So he's helping teach people how to live off the land, like how to navigate in the jungle. Like you can eat this, you can eat this. Like if you want to hunt, like go for these and this is where you'll find them and stuff like that. Wow. Um, And so then when Vietnam War is over, uh, there's this execution order to kill all the Hmong people. By whom? Uh, The communist government of Laos. So their leader was basically just like, all right, like these guys are traitors. They helped our enemies during this war. So it's time to get rid of them. I, I covered a little bit about that and how they were, they started to do genocide and just, there was, I, this is okay. Trigger warning. This is super graphic, but they were taking kids and smacking them against like the tree root to kill them. And it was just like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. But is that the same thing? Um, I mean, basically, yeah. And the scary thing is, like I said, with my grandpa being a well-known figure on top of having red hair, like he was easily picked out. And it's like with having a leadership role and helping so many people, like easy target, right? So they're like, well, I think we got to pack up and start moving. And one of my like favorite stories is when they decided it was time to go, my grandpa was like saying goodbye to all their livestock. Cause oh. I mean, you got like your one cow that you raise. And then when it gets to the age, you kill it and you have a nice village party. Um, but he said, well, he didn't say my mom told me this story and my aunts told me this story. But like when he was saying goodbye to like their dogs and their cats, he went over to the cow and was like, all right, like it's time for me to go. I'm going to sell you to, like one of my friends who's going to stay here, but like, this is where we part ways. Like, thank you for being a good cow. And then he said the cow was like crying. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just like kind of cool stuff like that. Like there's a lot of stories like that, that I'll, I'll share a couple of them, but like they basically just had to uproot and leave. And so my grandma and grandpa and my mom's oldest brother, I think was already in America studying um, at some college on the East Coast. Irvine. Oh, oh East Coast. <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> I don't think that's East Coast, but... Um, that's just where the Asians be, bro. <laughs> so, like, they basically pack... My grandma has 25-pound bag of rice on her back, and my grandpa has a 25-pound ba- bag of rice on his back. Essentials, dude. And they're just, you know, hunting squirrels and birds for meat and cooking rice. And I think they basically for the first little bit would expand about a day or two walk 
away from their village, kind of like in this radius around it, right? Because if they're in their village, easy target to get attacked. But if they're out in the jungle, they're pretty safe. So, um, so they start just trying to survive, wandering around. Um, and my aunt was telling me the unique thing was because, okay, so let me back up. My grandpa was the kind of guy that like just everybody loved him. Like everything he did was to help other people around him. Um, just wanted to be really well known as someone that cared for others. So, uh, he would help pretty much anyone that came around. Another good story about him is there's actually like a rival village, I don't know, a couple miles away. They sent two young boys that were trying to like get into like the gang equivalent of that village to go over and like assassinate my grandpa. And uh, so he's out in the field like working. They come knock on the door. My mom and my aunt answer the door. And how old is your mom at this time, you think? Oh, she's probably like three or four. Mm. And my aunt's like seven or eight. And so they knocked, like, is your dad home? And this is before, like, everything broke loose. So it's like, you know, you could kind of trust people a little bit. And so the way that they've been taught is like, you know, bring in the strangers, house them, feed them, make them comfortable. And so... They're kind of a little on edge, but they're like, all right, well, we know we were supposed to invite them in and kind of take care of them. And so they bring them in, take care of them. My grandma's like putting all this food up to like cook and make this big meal, feeds them. And so they're sitting there waiting all day. Finally, my grandpa comes home and he's like, oh, who are these visitors? And they're like, just like, they can't say much. They're like, oh man, like. They're like looking at each other, like, what do we, what do we do now? Like this family's like basically done everything to take care of us. And so they're like, well, if I'm being honest with you, like we were sent here to kill you because we're like basically two orphan boys that are trying to get into a gang and our initiation was to get rid of you. And he goes, hmm, that's, that's a tough situation. And so he like goes over and talks to my grandma for a little bit and she's like, what are you going to do? Like, they're, they're sent here to kill you. He's like, I know, but like they have no choice really. Like mm -hmm. what are they going to do? So if I remember the details right, he basically like took something valuable of his. He gave it to them, gave them like two silver bars and said, go back and tell them that you got rid of me and like live your life. But remember like this good deed and change your lives and live better. And so they're like, but why are you being nice to us? We just told you we were sent to kill you. Like you could do anything with us right now. And he's like, I know, but I want you to change your lives. Like mm. go back, live a good life now. And so, I don't know. I just thought that was cool hearing that. Like that's his character. And so that's kind of important for events coming up that I'll tell you about. Bro, that's baller. Yeah. That's why he was mayor. I'd vote for him to be my mayor. Bro. Yeah. Well, so I could look past the hair color for that. Dude. <laughs> Did you know your grandpa? So like he was alive when you were. Alive. I've never met my grandpa. Well, let's wait. We might find out why. Oh, sorry. So, um, so let's see. Wait, can uh, can I? Can you kind of paint a picture? I don't know if this is too personal. You can tell me, but for your mom and your aunt and anyone you know, like it obviously shifted at some point. And you said prior it was like you could trust everyone, and mm -hmm. it was like honky dory, and everyone's chill. Yeah. 
But so was it was it like a slow thing or was it pretty dramatic and scary? Like what was that like? I would say it was pretty dramatic. Like from one day of being able to like, you know, new people come into our village. Let's bring them in, make sure they're clothed, fed, and have a warm place to sleep tonight to, well, anyone could be a sellout to the government and they could give away our location at any time. If we invite them into our home, like either they're going to report back to whoever on where we're at or they could kill us in our sleep. Mm. And the order was to kill like every traitor. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah, it's it's like it's so bizarre to me like that that's literally one generation away from me like that people were running away from basically savages just trying to kill them because mm-hmm. they were ordered to so um so yeah that so I was telling that story about his character because he helped so many people that you know they they think they're safe out in some I don't know like grove or valley just hiding out and they would try and stay really low key like not build a lot of shelter but enough for them to at least like get through the night and randomly strangers would come and be like, Hey, you need to move. You need to get out of here. And they're like, well, why? Well, there's a group of soldiers coming through this area and they'll be here in like two hours, three hours. You got to get out of here. So people are like helping them. Yeah. And so then my aunt was saying like, my grandpa would ask like, well, why are you telling this? And they're like, well, you saved my dad you know, 10 years ago or whatever, like you saved my mom and you didn't have to. And so like, I'm just returning the favor so I can live with a clear conscience. Like I did, I returned the favor basically. So they would leave and then, you know, like a day later or whatever, another visitor would come be like, you guys got to move. Soldiers are coming here. And so I want to say they had been um, wandering outside of their village for probably close to a year when they realized we need to go somewhere more permanent, right? We can't just keep uprooting. And I mean, they, they were a day away from their village. So whenever supplies got low, someone in their family or their traveling group would make that journey back, grab whatever they needed and then meet back with them. So they figure out like, well, we probably need to like, make a move to the refugee camps in Thailand. Like that's kind of our option right now. We can't just keep wandering around with nowhere to go with no agenda. Like we need a long-term thing. So they kind of made that decision. All right, we're going to start heading towards Thailand and hopefully we can make it. Yeah. So they make their way to Thailand and there's two big events that, I mean, every day is a big event, right? But there's like two that I wanted to share that are like pretty crazy stories. So we'll start with, I guess we'll just go with the cave one first. So they were told about this cave that's basically the size of like, I don't know, a football field or two that could be like more of a permanent spot for the time being while they kind of figure out what to do. And uh, I kind of picture like the cave, you know, behind uh, Helm's Deep. Mm. that's kind of what I'm thinking, like a good little sanctuary where they can rest. And uh, so they're like, all right, well, to get to these caves, we can either walk through this old abandoned village. Or the mines of Moria. Yeah, actually, (laughs) speak, friend, and enter. (laughs) So they could walk through, that's actually a great comparison. They could walk through this old village or they could take a longer journey around and then they'd have to rappel down these cliffs. (laughs) 
So this does not sound real. Like I, I believe you, yeah. but this is insane. Keep going. So, uh, so my grandpa. I suddenly don't feel so bad about falling out of the tree last night. You know? <laughs> like, so more intense things have happened. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I like think about my first world problems and I'm like, dude, like your mom did so much more than you'll probably ever do or have yeah. to suffer through. She lived through Lord of the Rings at age four. Yeah, <laughs> for real. So that's so wild. Here, like our privilege is fighting for the one percent, but like there, like everyone's fighting the one percent. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. So my grandpa's like, well, even though it might take longer, I feel like we need to go propel down the cliffs. Was there like danger to the village, the old village, or well? So he's like, that's just so open and exposed. Like, literally anything could be in that village. And we've Any done one too, probably. Yeah. Like, well, he's like, we've done so good, like staying away from people. Like we've had, you know, lookouts that have been like, Hey, they're coming, get out of here. And he's like, you know, our, our luck, our blessings can only live for so long. So let's, let's take a longer journey around. And they're not just traveling with just like immediate family. Like these are people in the village too. So how many? Oh, I'm foggy on, no, probably like. 20 to 30 people. That's still like, that's a more than group. enough people to yeah. manage. Yeah. So travel through the wilderness. Right? There's like, you know, between six to eight of them in their family unit. And then just extensions of that, probably up to 20, probably no more than 30. Um, I don't know the exact numbers on that, but so my grandma's like, yeah, that, that makes sense, but you're going to get outvoted. And so he proposes it and they're like, no, let's just go through the village. Like, this is the easy option. We have a, you know, there's some women and children. I don't think we're going to be able to do the cliff thing. And he's like, I just really feel like we need to do the cliffs. They're like, nope, we're doing the village. So they stake out for the night and they're like, all right, before the sun rises, like, let's get through this village and get to the cave. So this was kind of a blessing in disguise, but my aunt says that, that night she got really sick, like bloody diarrhea, like everything terrible. And like I said, my grandpa, grandma, they're like the doctors, medicine men. So he's like cradling my aunt as she's like trying to be quiet because any loud noises gives away their position. And what my aunt told me was like, basically, he's already cradled three of his own kids in the same way that they all died. Like he's held three kids as of his own that have died in that same way. And so he's like, we've done everything we can to give her medicine. Like she's probably going to die by morning. So he falls asleep holding her, wakes up. She's still alive by a miracle. Um, she's seems to be healthy, but she's going to be weak. So he's like, all right, well, I'll move to the back and I'll walk with you and your grandma. And so I can picture this like so vividly, like it's like a movie scene in my head when my aunt told me this. So there's like, they're walking single file line through this village and you know, the sun's it's in the morning overcast, like kind of gray skies. They're trying to get through before a lot of light gets through. Um, so they're walking and my grandpa's holding my mom on his shoulders, like shoulder ride. My aunt's walking next to my grandma or in front of her, and they're just kind of quietly going through this village. And my aunt says she also can picture this like perfectly in her memory. And 
It's all quiet. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, just here's this huge explosion. Just lights up the entire sky. She says, all the leaves on all the trees just shockwave, like explosion everywhere, like deafening, like she's hearing a ringing in her ears. And then basically, I think her words were like, just picture Lion King stampede of wildebeest of just everybody in front of them running back. And as she looks, she sees just, all these soldiers like come from the far end of the village because what had happened is one of her uncles tripped on a landmine. So, well, there's two of them. The one that tripped on it actually didn't, he took some of the blow, but not a lot. It was the one behind him that took more of the blow. Um, So everybody in their group is just running, like turns around, just books it. And so she's like, just picture like 4th of July, like grand finale of fireworks. And so she's like, we're seeing bullets come by and just like seeing all the, what is it, like muzzle flares. Mm. And so they just take off running and they run for, she can't even remember how long, but they're just running and uh, they get to like this grove of banana trees and they're doing like a head count, like roll call and like... They're like, well, maybe uncles, he's on his way, right? Like, he'll be here shortly, right? Mm. And so they decide to rest up in the banana grove. And uh, they're resting there for like probably most of the day because everyone's shook up and they're like, we probably shouldn't move. Like, let's just lay low, keep a low profile, and uh, we'll make our way to the cave later. <laughs> so, uh <clears throat> Wild that they even got away. Yeah, no, for real. And well, that's why I'm saying I think one of the blessings, which I mean, from my religious view, I think it was more intervention from um, God. But like, if my aunt hadn't gotten sick, there's a good chance my grandpa would have been at the front of the line. Yeah, because he's the leader. So, um, anyways, so they're asleep for most of the day because traveling at night's the best because. You can't see anything really, and soldiers looking for them can't find them. So she talks about having a dream. She fell asleep, but she wakes up, and she's in this banana grove, and she sees the uncle walking towards her. And she's like, oh, you made it. Like, I'm glad to see you here. And he's like, he's like no. He's like, I'm not going to see you guys again, and you need to go. And she's like, what do you mean? Like, you're right there. Like, come with us and we'll take care of you. He's like, I don't think you understand. I'm not going to see you guys. You need to go. So she's like, but I'm like staring at you. And he says, you need to leave now. And as soon as he says now, she remembers just waking up. And she like jolted forward like, whoa. So. She starts like pinching everyone to wake him up, right? Because they're quiet. She's like, we got to go. We got to go. And so wakes up everybody quietly and they make their way out. And I think basically they made it up to this like lookout above everything. And by the time like the morning light came through, they watched like the soldiers walking up into that banana grove. And so she's like, the uncle basically woke her up and saved her Mm. one last time before she never saw him again. So I just thought, like, I kind of got goosebumps there, but when my aunt told me, I was like, that's crazy. So 
Never met that uncle, but he saved them from probably dying and getting captured twice. <laughs> yeah, for real. So that was a crazy story that I heard recently. And I think that's the unique thing about like my family's story is like each time I hear it, something new that's crazy like comes up. They're like, oh, remember this like one time? I was like, I've never heard it. Tell me, like, tell yeah. me. So, and I just think it's important to pass along that story just for other people to hear because you just are grateful for more things in your life when you hear that stuff. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever had a relationship that you're proud of? Proud of because you put in the work and the other person put in the work as well. Uh, didn't have to be perfect, but uh, effort was made, honest effort. I think it's definitely more rare to have those types of relationships. Uh, the good thing is with, with therapy, at least in my experience, uh, that's something I've been able to find. Uh, somebody who invests in me, uh, especially when I invest in myself. And we'd love, love, love for you to experience something similar. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Uh, it's entirely online, designed to be convenient and flexible, suited to your schedule. Uh, become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Uh, go ahead and visit BetterHelp.com slash 3 a.m. today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 3 a.m. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I felt the same way when you're talking about your grandma. She's 94 and having gone through all that, but she's outside like jumping on the trampoline, like looking at the sky. I was like, man, there's like wisdom and experience in that woman. Like, I just want to listen to her talk for hours and hours. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing is like she has an amazing memory. Like, I'll be like, Dad, ask grandma like about this. He's he'll like roll his eyes. He's like, you know what's gonna happen. She's gonna tell you every detail of everything. It's like, like yeah, that's what we want. Yeah, it's like, no, tell me. And it's she it's can a, only speak Hmong. Yeah. Oh. And so like when she tells a story, she's like, Ah, oh, yes, I think it was it was a Thursday. <laughs> like, the whoa. temperature was like eighty. <laughs> I remember I was sewing and uh with blue. Yeah, no, yeah. for real. And I'm like... So you're saying we should have got your grandma on here. Yeah, probably. It would be a triple the length of podcast because you'd hear her speak and then someone else would speak. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's just super detail-oriented. And like that's kind of like the Hmong culture is like you pass along things through storytelling. And like, uh, she's a great storyteller. My grandpa was a great storyteller. So just super crazy. So that was one experience I wanted to share Dude, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts or. No, I don't know. It it really kind of puts it in perspective. Like, <laughs> we come in here every week and we share stories, and it's like ninety nine percent of them don't matter. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're just <laughs> yeah. like fun or throwaway or just stupid. And then you hear something like that, and you're like, dude, wow. I don't know. Like my whole life, I th- it truly does put into perspective. Like what I'm worrying about is so stupid, and that's kind of. Mm-hmm. This is so dumb of me. I am not likening my experience last night to anything your family went through, but 
falling out of that tree, I straight up was, and I was listening to that podcast about near death experiences. And they're just talking about like what you worry about and what like you put your energy into every day. I think it is good for people to remember what is truly important and to like stop the momentum of modern day society. And you know what I mean? Cause it's yeah. like, you know, I'm like, Oh gosh, we got to post to Instagram. Oh gosh. You know, I got to go do this. Oh, well, I want to go have fun and finish my season of show. But then like, right. I don't know. So it is, I am very thankful for the story you've already shared because it is another reminder that like, dude, life is short and precious and can change very, very fast. <laughs> so, yeah. Take and it day by day and jump on that trampoline. Yeah, you know? and that's not to make any anybody feel bad for their their day to day. No, I am. either. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's like these things aren't aren't every day. I yeah, mean, thanks. in some like cases, like for them at that time, it was. But like, uh, yeah, I'm also grateful to hear this like life altering experiences, and yeah. not even just for like one person's near-death experience but like a whole family mm-hmm. or tribe and people and yeah insane does it make you feel like because to me when i hear stories like that i'm just like holy cow there's so much like intervention like you know mm-hmm. yeah. spiritual side to go um does it make you feel like oh man i gotta live up to like this legacy of for some reason my family was saved, so I could be here. I got to live up to that. that put I mean, pressure on you or no? I've always kind of, like, again, I've heard this story, all these stories, like, growing up ever since I was little. And I think there's a part of me that's, like, like sad that I never got to meet this amazing grandpa that has, like, all these characteristics. And, like, my aunt and my mom and my grandma have all told me that, like, they see parts of him in me. I like, obviously, all the grandkids probably have parts of him, but they see like more of a complete version of him in me, which is not like to boast or anything. But I think to your point, like, I do feel a little bit like I'm extremely blessed and grateful for like my mom's story of being able to get here safely. And I do want to live my life in a way that's like a tribute to her story and that like the family that basically uprooted and went on a journey without knowing if there's going to be an end. So yeah, I I think there's a little bit of pressure, but more than anything, I think it makes me grateful just to live a good life and motivates me to live that good life. That's awesome. It feels like that's a pretty common theme in kind of like families that are, like survivor stories or uh, survivor stories, but also just like families and cultures that are like really rooted in just lots of like rich history. Uh, and like, like I said, life altering mm-hmm. experiences like this is just like a sense of like responsibility moving forward to remember and like pass on information. Yeah. You know, uh, cause I, I, I like, I feel the same like with, with Hawaiians too, like the history of Hawaii and how we were overthrown. And often I feel guilty for even like living here on the mainland. Like I'm not with my people giving back to the economy there, mm-hmm. you know, the the people there and uh, contributing. Uh, so, no, I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but just no. like the responsibility yeah. of 
uh, coming from like standing on the shoulders of giants, you know? Yeah. That's definitely how I feel. I feel like I came from strong people and it's important to continually be strong and stand up for those that are, you know, less fortunate or don't have as many great things in life. Like, I mean, I've been born into a great situation. Like my dad works a great job where he makes money and I can live comfortably. And like that set me up to live a good life. And, um, yeah, it's, it's cool to have such a strong history in my family. And it's something that, again, like I said, motivates me to be better. So they made it to the cave. Yeah. So they made it to the cave. Um, good. Nothing super significant happened other than that was kind of like their stronghold. Can I ask kind of a side note? Sure. So at this point, your family, do you know much about their religious belief or like like the Hmong relationship with like superstition? Do you know what I'm saying? Like kind of paint a picture that way for me. So a lot of what they believe is like, you know, reincarnation, shamanism, I think is like kind of like their main religion is like. You know, everything has a spirit. Uh, there's bad, there's good spirits. Like, I can share a little bit more about that. Um, Is there a single deity? Uh, or multiple? There's, I don't think it's like, you know, like, as cut clear as, you know, like, Christianity. And then, like, I don't know, like, what I'm thinking when you say multiple is, like, you know, like, Egyptian gods where you have, like, multiple that play different roles. I haven't heard too much about that. It's just, I think it's more... And again, no expert, but I think from what I've gathered from talking to relatives and stuff that are still kind of practicing like that is it's more kind of along the lines of like Buddhism, just like there's spirit in everything and like live a good life and you'll be reincarnated into a good life. But the other thing is like my mom, it was really interesting when she like got into more westernized culture because like Hmong funerals are like really sad and depressing in a period of mourning because that's the end and uh seeing how it's like different out here and i mean like utah but even more just westernized like funerals are like a little bit more happy but in the mong culture it's like a really dark time of like Mm. three to seven days of just mourning mourning and trying to get over that but also there's a lot of other things that go on like when somebody dies like they will have like the men in the village come and protect the body from evil spirits trying to enter it. And there's this huge, just like ritual that's done with like drums and bamboo flutes and just different things to make sure that the spirit finds its way to where it needs to be. And so evil spirits don't enter in. Mm. So I don't know if that answered your question. No, it did. And I kind of just wanted to know like, the paradigm because she has this dream she sees mm-hmm. her uncle and it's like i just want to know like you know how she might have perceived that yeah well and she's been because i know you guys have talked about like there's special people who probably have a thinner veil in this life what does uh Ikaika call it the gift, the gift yeah Oof. i would i would say my grandma's probably one of those people that has a thinner veil and uh so like uh, I don't know if I should share this or after. What do you think? If you want, you can share it. And then later on, if you want us to take it out, we can all oh, edit it out. Well, I just don't know if 
it's chronologically fitting in. Like, do you want me to continue with them coming to America and then tell the story later? Sure, whatever feels natural. Okay. Well, it's a short one, but so like the veil being thinner for her, like she's really, even though she's now converted to um, LDS church, being a Mormon, um, I think she still has, I mean, how can you not growing up like in that still have some of those beliefs still in your soul? For sure. Um, I'm a big fan of like bringing yeah. all good parts to the table. So. Yeah. So she, I think she still believes strongly in spirits. Like I think it was my aunt again, who was telling me that like, again, my grandpa's been gone for a long time, but, and she's getting older, but she'll say like, oh, last night I had a dream and grandpa came down and he talked to me and I said, is it time for me to come up and join you yet? And he's like, nope, you still have stuff to do here. And then he went back and I woke up. Hmm. And so like, I think just stories like that are unique to her, but so a lot of like scary spirit stuff happens to Hmong people in their sleep. Um, and so when I was little, I used to sleepwalk whenever I took Benadryl. <laughs> so like, it was bad. Like it wasn't just like sleepwalking, like we're, we're comfortable here now. So I'll, I'll share when I took Benadryl, we didn't know, but I slept walk into my parents' room and I walked in butt naked as like a, it was like a seven-year-old. So don't think like, you know, 16-year-old <laughs> Tristan just, yeah. so I was young. And so like walked in and I was like, I don't know where my pajamas are. And my mom's like, what's he doing? Like, Willie, what's, what's your son doing? And she, he's like, I don't know. It's like, Tristan, go to bed. I'm like, I can't, I don't know where my pajamas are. He's like, and you're full tripping. <laughs> Dude, I don't remember anything. And they're like, your eyes were open, everything. And so I was like, I don't remember this at all. Anyways, they put me back to bed, but we found out that it was the Benadryl. But before we found that out, my grandma was sleeping in her bed, and I uh, slept walk into her room and got into the bed next to her. And she's, like, down the hall from my parents, so she's just, like, my mom's name's Chow. So she's, like, calling out softly, like, Chow, Chow, like, trying to, like, call her, but not, like, because another thing in Hmong culture is, like, if there's a spirit, if you don't acknowledge it or don't talk to it, then they can't connect to you or follow you as long as you don't mm -hmm. acknowledge that it's there, right? So she's like, if I can get my daughter to come in and get this thing out of here without me like talking to it, I think it'll be okay. Wait, she full on thought you were a spirit. She thought I was a spirit because <laughs> she was she was sleeping with her like back towards oh the door, God. which I think you guys have talked about. You never sleep with your back towards the door, but she was. And then I just got in bed. Again, after Benadryl, it wasn't me trying to scare my grandma, but I just got in bed next to her. I don't remember it. The next morning, like, she yelled at me and, like, slapped me. She's like, why did you get in my bed? I like, I don't remember doing this. So, she laid there terrified all night? Yeah. Well, so she laid there, and she finally got up the courage and was just like, Chow, get in here. And my mom just comes running in, and she's like, Tristan, what are you doing? And I think I just got up and left and, like, didn't say anything. And, like, she's like, you don't remember that? I was like, I don't remember anything, like... Just Nothing happened. Tripping off that bed. Does that still happen? No. Thankfully, no. Dude, I was... After I heard those stories, I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to take Benadryl ever again. So, luckily... Like cold turkey with the Benadryl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, it's never happened again, but... I'm, like, gl I'm glad you got over that. Thank you. It's It was a long journey, and it was tough, but I did it. Yeah. But... So, like, that's kind of her relationship with, like, spirits. It's like, I think she firmly believes, like... Mm that they are still walking amongst us or can visit us and 
stories that I can share later with spirits at night or kind of spook. Um, all right. So the second big story that I wanted to share was the river crossing. So they had to cross the Mekong River. Did three people carry them across and then die later? No. Oh, we but, okay. you know, there is some cool stuff coming up in this story. That's a funny insider Mormon joke. Yeah, <laughs> you, you had to be there. Yeah. You had to be there. <laughs> so, so they get to this river crossing. And like I said, after um, that mood shift that we were talking about where you can't trust people. So my uncle who was in America had somehow gotten word back to my grandpa's like best closest childhood friend who had taken people across this river before. And he's like, look, my family has enough money. They're going to pay you. Please get them across this river to the refugee camp. Like, please, we need you to do that for us. Like that's the least you could do for your childhood friend. It's like, okay, like I, I can do that. And so they get to the river and one big thing was, which I am like amazed because my brother has two kids and like keeping them quiet is like kind of hard, but I'm like, so how do you get through this jungle with little kids and not give away your position? So I guess one of their methods was to like drug them up on opium, try and keep them like on that Benadryl. Yeah. On that Benadryl life. Yeah. Like, so the sad thing was they, if they weren't, you know, medicine man, they didn't know the dosage. So a lot of kids actually died from parents overdosing their kid. But the even sadder thing is the group's safer with that kid gone. So they didn't intentionally do it, but at the same time, it's like the crying baby gives us away and we all die or do we lose this one baby? Mm. So. Wow. What a tough. Yeah. Tough decision, man. So there were, you know, a couple of young kids baby aged toddlers in that group that was traveling with them. And so they got to the river and basically their method of crossing was tie everybody to bamboo, like pool noodles under their arms and then just have like a guy in the front leading them. And they had gotten all set up and were ready to cross. And I think it was, it was pretty much like in the dead of night was when they were going to cross. Cause now you don't even have the ability to like run through a jungle if people see you, right? So you have to go when there's no light. Like I want to say they've probably planned it around like the moon too, like having little to no moon so there's no light. But they got everyone tied up and right as they entered the water, a baby just lets out this blood-curdling scream. And my aunt says she remembers off in the distance just hearing these soldiers just like basically in their language, probably not even Hmong, but in Laotian, like, Oh my gosh, did you guys hear that? It's over there. And so they hear all this commotion and like either torches or flashlights, just like she sees them coming down the hillside. And so they all just get in the water and just try and take off. And luckily they get in the water. Okay. But she just remembers again, that was one instance where just, these guys just start blind firing their assault rifles over in that direction of where they heard the cry. And so that and all the other, there's a couple other stories, but where they, she literally remembers 
feeling bullets whiz by her face, seeing bullets like it hit the water in front of her. But my grandma, my mom, and her all just say, it's like we basically had a force field around us, like no bullet could hit us, but it would get close. And that was another time where they think this has to be like divine intervention, right? Like how do you get this many close calls and nobody besides the uncle stepping on the landmine get hit. So they start crossing the river and it's a pretty wide river. Like we're not talking like little narrow stream, like to where you have to put bamboo to float. Like, you know, you're going to be in there for a while and especially with it, like dragging you down as you're crossing. Right. So, Oh yeah. I forgot to say the only reason that they decided to cross this river and knew that they were going to be okay is because it was the grandpa's or my grandpa's best friend from childhood. Like Mm -hmm. if you just hired anyone random, like there was no trust at this point. Like you've been wandering in the village and you've kind of gotten like really uneasy around anyone that's not in your immediate group. Mm. So they're like, well, it's your childhood best friend, so we can trust him. And they had promised to pay him once they got across. And he's like, okay, I can do this. And he's done it before. So they get going and they hit like sand and they're like, oh, the bamboo is so heavy. Like, let's just cut it off. These are people not in like my mom's immediate family. And the guide's like, no, don't cut the bamboo off. Like, we're not there yet. And they're like, oh, it's, it's too heavy. So a couple people decided to cut free from the bamboo. And they're like, we're just going to rest here. And he's like, okay, like, but we got to keep going. So those guys, I don't know what ended up happening to them, but they got stranded on a sandbar basically in the middle of the river. And uh, so that was the first event where I was like, thank goodness they had the guide. Because, mm. I mean – you're in the darkness. You finally, like, after a long time of just floating in water, you hit sand and you're like, this seems like a good place to rest. Or, like, yeah. you don't know how far you have to keep going. And it felt like we're probably at the shore. So they get back in the water. Um, they keep going and they get to, like, this basically this whirlpool where they're not going anywhere. They're just the guy at the front's like swimming and pushing and. My grandpa's swimming and pushing, and it just seems like they're not going anywhere. They're not going down. They're not going forward. They're just stuck. And so he's like, all right, well, everyone needs to just start, like, cutting, like, drop the money. I don't care about the money. Like, we're going to die. So everyone who had, like, pockets with money in it, they just let it go. Silver bars, they're just letting them go, dropping them. And uh, he's like, we're still not going, like, Guys got to just cut off everything else. So, like, my grandma had a couple, like, scarves that were given to her from her mom that she ended up just, like, cutting off of her, like, just letting go of everything and still not moving. So the guide's like, all right, well, I don't I don't think I can die with you guys, so I'm going to cut myself free and just go. And my grandpa's like, we're best friends since childhood. Like, you can't let me and my family die here. He's like dude, I, I, I gotta go. Like I have a family of my own. I can't die with you. And he's like, please, please just like, give me, give me a couple minutes. And he's like, I don't know if we have a couple minutes. So speaking of like back to spirituality and religion, this was like the first time I think my grandpa had ever basically offered a prayer to anything above 
like any divine being up there. He basically just was like wailing, like, please don't let my family die here. There has to be a way to get us across this river. At least don't let them die here. Let us at least get to land. I don't want to have to watch like my kids drown in front of me. Like I've already witnessed three of my kids die. And so after he says that, they just feel like a push. Like they just start moving and he's like, Oh, we're moving, we're moving, we're moving. The guy's like, all right, everyone get ready. Let's like, let's, let's keep going. So like, that's another moment where my aunt's like, there's no way. Mm. Like we had not been moving for minutes and we had already cut away all the loose weight and nothing changed other than he said that prayer and they just, and from that moment he knew that there was something out there that was probably going to take care of his family. He didn't know what, because again, his beliefs didn't line up with like Christianity or anything. So they made it across that river and they made it to a refugee camp in Thailand. Hmm. So they were then in that refugee camp for like nine months before they got lined up with a sponsor from like DC, Virginia, like a family decided to sponsor their family and get them over to America because, you know, at this point, like Hmong people are basically like we helped the American troops. So it's only fair to bring them in if they need safety from the communist government that's trying to kill them. Mm. Jeez. So was that a, was that like, Partly funded by the U.S. government? Um, I'm shady on the details there, but it seems like, yeah, there's probably a little bit. And, like, when they got here, they were able to have some sort of government funding. Like, they definitely lived in government housing, but they did have some sort of, like, food stamps or equivalent for the first little bit while they were here. So they were in a refugee camp for nine months, came to America. My mom says she remembers walking into a lobby of this giant hotel and just this tall white guy picking her up and like spinning her because he was just celebrating that they made it. Uh. And she remembers just like looking up at the chandelier and like, what is this light? Because they didn't have running water or electricity in their village. So she's like, what's this light? And I can go to this room where there's, a bowl and flip this handle and water just comes out that I can drink. And so she just remembers vividly like going into that lobby and seeing a chandelier for the first time. And like, that was like pretty big for their whole family to make it over. And um, again, there's a lot of other stories like every day probably has a huge event, but those are the two that I thought were significant to share here. Um, Dude, being willing to, like, cut and give up everything you have, you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. There's so much to that, and we could all, like, you could, you could draw so many, like, stories and lessons from that, but I don't know. I just, like, yeah. that stood out so much to me. Just, like, emptying all your pockets, everything you love, everything you cherish. Yeah. Even you talking about, like, your mom having the, the image of seeing a chandelier... And walking into a bathroom for the first time and having just free running water yeah. into a bowl. It's like, I doubt any of us have any type of frame of reference for something similar. And yeah. like none of our children will ever have to have, you know, 
Hopefully. something so like an image like that that they'll think back on it like man remember mm. yeah so i mean i guess once they got to america like kind of got situated in government housing like my mom always jokes that she grew up in the hood <laughs> and she's like where at where were they basically just in the projects of dc okay uh if i i've never been but i know dc's super rough like super rough mm-hmm. so yeah i can imagine yeah so they were there. Uh, my grandpa got a job working at like a chicken processing factory. And so didn't know the language, but was working every day to try and learn English. And my grandma would just babysit other kids in the neighborhood because that's kind of like the Mong way when it's harvesting season. You know, like one mom would basically babysit all the kids and all the other moms and dads would go out and harvest because that's where you're making your money, where you're getting your livelihood. So she would just babysit kids while my grandpa was working at the chicken factory, basically. Hmm. And uh, they were here for about two to three years. Um, And then this is where, tell me if this sounds familiar. So they were here for two to three years. Grandpa goes to sleep one night. Next morning, they go in to wake him up. Well, it's past his alarm. He's supposed to be at work or at least walking to work because he walked two miles to go to work because he couldn't drive. But they go in, unresponsive. Uh, They go, call the paramedics. Paramedics basically, like, get there, and they're like, yeah, there's, like, no vital signs. I think he's gone. And uh, I don't know how many episodes back, but you guys were talking about a bunch of Hmong men that had been reported as to dying in their sleep. And so when I heard that, I was like, that's literally my grandpa's story. So I think, wasn't it like 500, 600? I, I can't remember. It, it was, was a large number. Yeah, it was in the hundreds or something. I, if I remember right, what you guys said, but, and they seem to like show no mm-hmm. like signs. Like there, there's no reason they should have died. And, and the conclusion was like, they died of fright in their sleep or something. Yeah. So I, asked my mom my aunt my grandma and they're like no like he never had night terrors or any sleep paralysis and the only thing that they could conclude was because i mean he didn't have like the luxury of eating like extremely healthy but he's walking four miles a day i mean he's having like rice and meat for like his meals but it's not like he was unhealthy but basically i think the doctors told him that it was just a high-stress situation and his body and heart kind of just gave out. Mm. So it's that or put on your conspiracy theory hats. It's already on, brother. So the night before he died, there was a man and a woman that came to their house and they gave him a business card and said that they were with National Geographic. And... They wanted to interview my grandpa about his story of coming to America because they were working on some project. And uh, they're like, but only he can be in the interview. Like once we start, like your kids and your wife have to leave the room. And he was just super relaxed and inviting and told them the story. And I think, I don't know, pretty soon after he died, they like, they wanted to get the footage of their dad. So they called the number on the business card. They're like, hey, can we at least get the interview? 
as like, you know, his, his last words, basically, like we didn't hear anything other than like the, I love you's when they went to bed and they're like, we never interviewed a guy and we don't have a guy or girl on our team. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, well, we're staring at your business card that you gave us. And they're like, uh, we've never heard of any, like anybody. Dude, I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> I'm scared. I'm terrified. All of a sudden, so I'm like, I, I'm, I'm thinking of like reconnaissance from like Laos or something, maybe, possibly, or those two young boys grew up and finally was a, man, a man and a woman that came to film the interview. Uh, no, that's that's crazy. So, like, my it's not confirmed, and it could be the stress or whatever. But my aunt. My mom and my grandma all think it's strange. I'm with them. Because my other aunt had produced like a quilt. And the way the Hmong people tell stories is they'll usually make like a blanket and they'll just like stitch on like people and like tell a story as you look at the quilt. And so she actually made one of their journey coming to America. And like if you look it up on National Geographic, you can find pictures of it. That's your aunt's quilt? Yeah. Oh, I don't know if... If so they, it. you think that they took the pictures when? Oh no! Like she openly gave it to them, okay. and she's saying it's strange that we can access this. Yeah, there's proof that there but was like there's no interview that you can give us. Maybe they're afraid that you'd be all like, "You owe us money for it," and they're like, "No, we never did that." So, so, um, going along with the nefarious agenda they think do they have an idea if it if it was national geographic or someone posing as them uh, and i think any any leads at they all? they haven't really said too much because i think i mean obviously they're going off of nothing really but it's also the sensitive topic so i don't know how much they talk about it yeah i mean they're just like it, it could have been them that poisoned him or something because it is just strange that overnight he went from healthy to gone. But I mean, it does, it happens, but it just seems not common in that situation. But I don't know. I just covered, did you, in the last episode, I talked about uh, this Canadian school where they were housing indigenous people up in Canada. Mm -hmm. And the community knew that weird stuff was going on. So they put money together and got like radar. And they found 256 bodies under the school. So they were basically like exterminating indigenous kids. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm not I'm not drawing parallels, but is that your aunt's quilt? Um would you recognize it? I don't know. Yeah, it's that's not it. I could I could get a picture because my mom knows Please do. And I can send it to you. But basically, if I remember right, it's just like black cloth and it kind of looks like this vest that I brought to show you guys. And I can show you whenever, but yeah, I was she like sold it to National Geographic as like, this is our story and here's something a little bit about it. And my mom found the article like the other day when I was asking her these questions and she showed me the picture so I could get it and send it to you guys. But And if you could send the article, I'd love to read yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Dude, that is wild. Uh, yeah, who knows, whatever. But that is super peculiar timing at very least. Yeah. And the fact that they're like, no, we don't have the interview. Yeah, they're like, we, a guy and a girl, like we didn't even have them on our team or 
we don't know what you're talking about. So that's the that's the that's the sketchiest part. Yeah. So they're kind of curious, and I'm sure. I hope one day, maybe, on the other side of this earth, we can get closure on what happened. Really, but it's just it's just something I thought that you guys would like that conspiracy theory. Just <laughs> Heck yeah, it is it is a sensitive topic, but. Uh, it's one that my mom told me. I was like, when I heard it, I was like, that is fishy. Cause she like never told me that growing up, but mm. it wasn't till I was older when I asked her like, so tell me again, like what happened to grandpa? And she's like, well, he died in his sleep, but this is also something that, you know, we found interesting that they wouldn't even give us footage. Cause like at the end of the day, he's gone and that's sad, but we would have at least liked to have that footage to yeah. hear his voice yeah. or at least to pass on to his grandkids. Cause I think I've seen one picture of him in my entire life. Mm. Never heard his voice. Just I've heard stories about him growing sure. up. Sure. So, sure. How old was mom when grandpa passed away? About. Uh, so they left when she was like four. And then they were wandering around. And she was probably like, by the time he died, probably eight or nine. When my, mo- my mom was eight or nine and my aunt was like 13. I mean, I have other aunts, but it's like my mom and my aunt are tight, tight. Like they're next door neighbors and um, they're the only ones that like joined the church. And so they are like the two figures that I, yeah. like when I say my aunt, I'm referring to her. Her name's Shua. Hmm. And my mom's name's Chow. So, yeah, I mean. <sighs> Do those names mean anything in... Um, I don't necessarily know if Chow or Shua means anything. It's more just, I think the name they got when they came here is like, they asked them what their name was and they said they're like Hmong name and they just kind of, okay, well, let's just call you this. But like my middle name is Shong. It's in Hmong, it's spelled S-O-O-B and the B is a tonal marker. In English, you could spell it S-H-O-N-G and it means tiny one. (laughs) It's, it sucks, kind of, because they're like, tiny one? Yeah, that's super. Like, I mean, like, it doesn't suck. I actually like it. But, like, my sister's middle name is, like, a beautiful flower. And, like, my brother's middle name is, like, the family name of Lee. And, I mean, it's just because I was a smaller baby. So, and, like, since my dad was fluent in Hmong and my mom is Hmong, they're like, let's give all our kids, like, Hmong middle names, which I think is sweet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I used to joke with people and tell them it meant like tiny horseman or like epic cool guy. Like, yeah. <laughs> Kill everyone who makes fun of my middle name <laughs> guy. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's, I don't know. I don't think Chow or Shua has a meaning. They're like Mong names definitely do. But hmm. I actually don't know my aunt's Mong name, but I'm pretty sure my mom's Mong name is Mai Tsa. Spell it M A I V T X O S. <laughs> Chill. Yeah, it's it's crazy. The That's Mong... almost as bad as Utah names. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Hmong language was like um, written by like French Christian missionaries that came down to like Hmong people and helped them develop like a written a language. Written, like, phonetical. Yeah, but none of it makes but, sense. But... Like the last letter of every word is the tonal marker, and there's like eight tones to a word so like my dad's favorite thing is to like the word like moa 
you could say it like eight times, eight different ways. And it means like different things, you know, like sister-in-law or I have to go to the bathroom or like, <laughs> so he'll just be like, yeah, dude, like more, 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 more. Like just saying it all weird. And he's like, this means this, this means this. And I'm like, dude, I don't know how you <laughs> learned that language. Cause like he learned it in the MTC and yeah. went on his mission and like people were like, dude, you know, this language really well. And he's like, thank you. I worked hard yeah. <laughs> to get here, and especially stateside. Like it's crazy that he developed such good language skills going just to California. So yeah. yeah. Do you, can you say like a, a greeting? I don't want to put you on the spot. I mean, but I just did basically like, hello. I mean, if, if there's any Hmong people out there, like don't hate my tone too much. Cause I'm not an expert, but like, Hello is like Nya Zhong. Dude, I remember this because I remember when we went to that Hmong, fam- that Hmong family's house. Yeah. Uh, I was like, is there like any words we should know? Like, hello or thank you? Yeah. <laughs> I remember Nya Zhong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's cool. Like when I was little, because my grandma lives with us. Like when she was younger, she lived with us for like nine months out of the year. Then three months, she'd go back East Coast, live with her sons. But hmm. now that she's older, she just lives with like my parents. I mean, I don't live at home anymore, but... When I was little, my parents went on like a 10-day cruise and we stayed with grandma and we had two laptops that had like Warcraft 3 and Diablo 2 on them and we'd do our chores and they told my grandma the password to log in. And so one of the phrases that um, they taught us to say was like, can I go play on the computer? (laughs) And like that was like my favorite thing to say to her and she'd ask me if I like did my chores and I'd be like, yep. I was like, so then the phrase is, Kumu Ushi computer law. <laughs> so I just ask her that over and over and over. <laughs> and we were supposed to have like some coupon system of like, give me this piece of paper. I'll give you 30 minutes. But she just logged me on and my brother and I would just play Warcraft. Play for hours. Three. Yeah, 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 hours. And she'd go up and sew and like forget about us. And I'm like, isn't it so great that we can just play? <laughs> I love that. So wild, bro. Yeah. So they, they made it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, grandpa passed. Yeah. But your family like feels like put down some roots and kind of branched out yeah. all over the country. Yep. And uh, yeah, I mean, they, I think Kevin asked about this, but like they eventually, um, some missionaries, some Mormon missionaries knocked on their door. Uh, my mom, my aunt, and my grandma were interested in kind of their message. But the sons of the family who were kind of like taken over as like the authoritarian figure just because that's how it is. Um, basically just told the missionaries time after time, like they're not interested, like they tell you that, but they're not. And so they would basically just missionaries like, all right, they're not serious about the church. They don't want to join. So they'd leave. And then my mom and aunt would reach out like, please come back. Like we really want to yeah. set like baptismal date. And then like brother would say, nope, they're not serious. Don't even come. Don't, don't worry about it. So it was like the third time they finally got baptized. And um, basically my mom and aunt got disowned from like their brothers were like, what are you doing? Like you're joining this cult and like their cousins and other uncles that live throughout the U S were like, yeah, they're joining some white cult from Utah. And so my aunt, she came out here to go to school and my mom was finishing up high school. Um, and well, actually my aunt was still in DC and my uncle 
who actually served in California, speaking Hmong, who was a companion with my dad, had just gotten off his mission, and he was from D.C. area, and they're like, dude, there's this Hmong family you got to come meet, and he, like, went over and met my aunt. They went out to school here, got married. My dad came home right when they were getting married. He's like, come be my best man. When he went out for the wedding, he met my mom, and then she followed him out here. They got married, have lived next door to each other since. Like, I grew up with my cousins. And Bro, I want to join your family, bro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of cool. <laughs> but, yeah, for a long time, their, like, extended family was like, you guys are disowned. You're mm. leaving the Hmong ways. But it was like, I don't know, eight years ago when I finally, like, had met a lot of my uncles. They came out here and were like, it's been too long. We got to catch up with you guys and... I think they're coming out expecting to like maybe see like us in like some Amish community or something, like yeah. churning our own butter or something. Yeah. And so, as we do. Yeah. So they came out and they like met us, saw that. They're like, oh, you play Warcraft? No. <laughs> Diablo? It's like, oh, too? you're churning your own fry sauce. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're making fry sauce. So, no, they like saw that my mom and my aunt had nice homes in a nice neighborhood and their kids had all graduated or were going to graduate doing good things and basically like my oldest uncle who's now like the head of the family was like like broke down in tears and was like we've missed out on like mm. 18 20 years of your guys's life and it seems like you have it better than a lot of people in our own Hmong communities and so it was kind of cool to get that closure and meet them and but now we're here nice just living life and enjoying it i guess so yeah. oh, that's kind of like the brief story of like again there's so many other stories but i just want to share those couple ones that yeah, i was gonna say we're getting the watered down version i bet yeah um you brought something yeah so uh i don't know how good you can see this <laughs> but so this oh. necklace here here this maybe show it more closer to dj yeah, I'll get back to the mic. So this necklace that you see, um, this is actually made out of aluminum uh, in Laos. This is like super formal wear, like you wear it to your wedding, like it's your wedding bling, right? Yeah. Um, but it's normally made out of steel, so it's like way heavy. And like everything, you can hold it if you want. Oh, I'm nervous. No, nah, don't be. <laughs> okay. So everything that you're seeing um, is hand etched handmade all the coils like they coiled that oh by hand um, this is ornate so that was like super formal necklace oh that's oriental and uh <laughs> <laughs> so that's a pair of brass knuckles bro yeah so you'd wear that to like that's amazing your wedding um but yeah what you're like touching her that goes around the neck that texture yeah. you feel like they had to carve that in there yeah dude all these little etches but that one's just out of aluminum. Like when I went to Mong New Year and my uh, cousins put one around me because they, people at, like Mong New Year, I had so many pictures taken of me because I was just this hybrid white Mong kid <laughs> decked out full gear. But when they put it around, like, I was like, this is heavy. And they're like, yeah, you got to wear that all day. I was oh. like, oh my gosh. But, um, and I'll grab the other thing that you'd wear with it. One sec. I think this is a first, like show and tell. This really is a first. I dig it. 
Step it up, guests. <laughs> Sorry, this is loud. It's not, dude. Mm. This one's really cool. My grandma made this vest. So, this is all done by hand again. Oh, say that again into the mic. Sorry, this is all done by hand. Uh, and it's just, you know, you got your beads and oh. tassels. But I think the coolest thing is like that embroidery. Um, and this, again, is like formal vest that you'd wear. Um, underneath it, you just wear like a white shirt. Mm. Um, and then you'd have your MC hammer parachute pants, <laughs> just black pants. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of like a formal Hmong vest for a man. So you could... Bro, Touch this, it, feel it. These patterns and colors, like if I saw this, I would not guess Asian. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I Color feel like is crazy. This is like more like Southern American, I feel like. I would I would guess That's, Peru, I would Peruvian. guess Peru, yeah. yeah. Dude, uh That's beautiful. Do you know roughly how long this took your grandma? This is crazy. Um my guess is probably way off because I think she's a wizard. <laughs> So I would say that probably didn't take her super long because she is amazing and she's pretty much self-taught. Like those patterns, she makes toys with patterns like that that she comes up with like off the top of her head. Dude, that's wild. So this is traditional Hmong wedding wear or just uh, uh It's like formal. formal I was going to pull up a picture when I yeah, went to yeah. Thailand. My wife and I took some pictures in some wearing some of this yeah i mean we paid the like two dollars or whatever yeah where is it at did you wear this at your wedding i did not <laughs> um why not just because i <laughs> i didn't i guess <laughs> i felt really cool when i wore it to mong new year because Again, parachute pants with that vest and bling around your neck. Like, you just feel good. Dude, when, when's Hmong New Year? Is it the same? Uh, it's like in November. Dude, let's start so, celebrating. It's Is there a Hmong community out in Utah? Uh, yeah, the biggest one is like Farmington, Layton area. Because they had a Hmong New Year out there. I think they still do every year. Like, my aunt went and she's like... I mean, it's good, but it's nowhere near like Fresno, Sacramento. Bro, uh, let's go. It's crazy. Let's go. So like you go and it's really like a giant flea market. Um, people will sell their stuff, like lots of suits and um, food. Like people just come and there's like soccer games going on. But yeah, the main food is like uh, rice with smoked sausage or rice with chicken wings uh mong sausage just like you get like a big styrofoam takeout box and you just got like half of it with rice and then delicious meats on the other side and it's pretty fun and it's like a courting time so the one thing that i remember is like if you find somebody that you like they have this like area where you toss back and forth a tennis ball and you like have to use one hand I can't remember everything behind it, but like something about like if you drop it or something. But I always thought it was funny because when I was a kid, I was like, <laughs> they're just throwing tennis balls. Like that, that that guy's got like fire game. He got a cute girl just tossing her a tennis ball. And <laughs> they just sit there tossing the tennis ball back and forth for like 20 minutes. And I'm like, 
If only it was that easy. Yeah, what? <laughs> Dude, we got to start that up yeah. out here. <laughs> Wait, this is just a, a festival? Like, Yeah. Basically, I mean, the equivalent is like, I would guess like the end of harvesting season in Laos, they would just have like a big feast. And so like now in California, you know, people just bring their local businesses, sell traditional mong clothes. They have games going on, like I said, soccer. They also have this game. I think a lot of Southeast Asian countries have the same game, but like volleyball, but you can only use your feet. Yeah. And so you see these uh, like soccer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they use a bamboo ball that's like I know what you're talking about. Tiny. Because they play that in the Philippines too. Yeah. yeah. And El Dorado. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. That's an armadillo dog. <laughs> but it's crazy. Did you watch them play? Yeah. Dude, yeah. They they play like, like in the mountain villages. They'll spike and, it down with their feet. Like yeah. they'll do like splits in the air and like it sounds like a whip when they like hit it with their foot down, like some crazy karate kick down. Yeah. And it sounds like just someone's whipping. Yeah. That's freaking dope. Crazy flexible. <laughs> Bro, that's crazy. Is it like I, the type of thing that if a group of non Hmong people went, they'd be like, why are you trying to steal our culture? Is it like seen as disrespectful? Is it like, could we show up to Hmong New Year and be chill? Yeah. I mean, I think now, just because it's more of like a fun cultural thing you might get some weird looks and not really know what's going on but i'm sure i mean because like my Kim dad was just in there tossing a tennis ball with like an old man <laughs> and they're like dude no <laughs> you toss a tennis ball if you're courting somebody cool. i know but we don't know so you just <laughs> you're just in there and this guy's smiling yeah. at you <laughs> no like it's um, like running away from all the balls that you throw yeah <laughs> well i mean like again it's like more of a hang out carnival not carnival is disrespectful but more just celebration like a, a gathering yeah, yeah. celebration yeah. there you go that sounds Better fun word. so Damn. what is, what does utah have uh Saratoga springs right now is having their summer days you got strawberry carnival. days trek i don't want to hear it <laughs> bro utah has no, this I thing called, wanted to go on trek called trek I never did. where uh mormon youth like recreate the, the pioneers the pioneer yeah. pil pilgrimage trek out west and they have to dress in pioneer garb and push carts yeah. for a week straight. Carry so, like flower sacks. They basically babies. LARP the Oregon Trail video game. Yeah. So growing yeah. up, only the young women did trek. And then what? and then the young men would go like we went to like Mexico like beaches in Mexico. Dude. Moab, whitewater rafting, stuff like that. And Dang. all the girls were all like why are they gonna do that? Yeah, we we, we did a uh, high adventures in youth and yeah. like fly to Kauai, camp in the so canyons sweet. and waterfalls. You guys are was wrong with and then, uh, the, yeah. the culture, bro. <laughs> right. The young women would be like, "Can we do something like that?" And the bishops all like, "No, like, you guys have to live within your means." Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh! It's like they'd have quilt night. <laughs> oh my gosh! Y'all went, to, went to church in the 1900s. <laughs> Your uncles didn't see that part of the cult. So. <laughs> no, it's well. Speaking of Trek, when I went, everyone's telling their like pioneer stories of like, oh my great great grandpa or whatever. And I was like, uh, because they're like, you know, you trek for one of your relatives. Yep. I was like, I'm trekking for my mom who came to America 40 years ago. And they're like, what? So then I break down and tell them the story and they're like that is so cool like, yeah, like, your pioneer story is freaking awesome yeah so it was kind of cool when i went on but i was like this is totally different like hand carts versus jungles and yeah 
slingshots killing squirrels to eat <laughs> with your rice. Dude. So <laughs> they made you tomato, tomato. Utah, like, <laughs> yeah. on bamboo. Yeah. I never realized there were squirrels in the jungle. I didn't realize. I kind I mean, of thought squirrels were a North American thing. Maybe, well, maybe not squirrels, but in, uh, something like, like a rodent. Groove, there's that squirrel, so I guess I should have. Oh. I thought it was a North American thing because whenever like Asian tourists come over here and they, they see squirrels, squirrels yeah. they, they think it's like you know, an elephant, like a level of mystique, you know? Yeah. Maybe, maybe a different <laughs> rodent insert <laughs> Laotian squirrel. Rodent. Yeah. So a loaded. <laughs> cool. You had other stories prepared. Yeah. So like I said, my grandpa was the mayor and kind of like the leader figure. <laughs> I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download. American Vigilante, now. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins. Convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.